Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. And we're looking at chapter 2. And just to say, this book is a part of our rebuilding. We are rebuilding the church after covid And by rebuilding, we're delving into the Bible, the basics, if you like, trying to get back to understanding how to interpret the Bible correctly and to reaffirm and strengthen our faith. And to recap very briefly, the book was written in A.D. 95. John was one of the only disciples alive. He was one of the top three, Peter, James, and John. And he wrote five of the books in the Bible, the Gospel of John, three letters, and then the book of Revelation. And in this letter, he is writing to the church in Asia Minor. The book would have been read across all the churches because he saw tendencies and heresies developing, and he was very concerned. In the other books, he writes to individuals, but here he writes to the church. And he addresses two things that I want to remind you of. First is docetism. It is a belief system where they believed that God was, was good and was perfect and matter and man was evil. And you say, well, does it matter? Yes, they didn't believe that God could come in the flesh in the person of Jesus. And so they denied the deity of Christ. How can good God come into a human being and be in him as God? They believed he was just anointed. He was just a teacher. And then at the cross, the teacher was killed And that's how they viewed it. And he was really a teacher, not a savior, not God in the flesh. They also believed that you could sin in your body because it was just matter. But as long as your spirit worshiped God, you were okay and you were saved. And so they had a kind of a divided mentality. They split their sins and their bodily functions and and all the stuff they did in the flesh from their belief. And so with the mind, as long as you believe with the mind, it doesn't matter what you do with the body. People are still doing that today. And so that's docetism. And then there was a second one called Gnosticism. The Greek word gnosis, knowledge. They believed that special knowledge came if you fasted and if you did certain things and you ate certain foods. But like some of the Eastern religions, you would gain a higher plane of knowledge. And so that separated some Christians from others. And there was division in the church. That's why it talks a lot about love and a lot about unity. So just to give us the background, the deity of Christ was under attack, and then also they lived just sinning and not caring because they felt it was in the body, not in the spirit. Now we come to four pieces of advice in chapter 2 that John gives to the church. Are you ready this morning? And I'll break it up like that. I'll I'll do a heading, then read a section because there are many verses, and uh, we'll examine them as we go along. And the first thing John says to us in chapter 2 is, and, and, this, and there's four warnings or four instructions today. The first one is, do not sin. And remember, this is written to the church. So he's telling the church not to sin. He doesn't tell them, just focus on God's love and keep your eyes on Jesus. No, he tells them, do not sin. And the context is is quite important. Let me just say before we read the verses here this morning, when you read the book of Proverbs, 
It's an assembly of a whole lot of thoughts. Have you noticed that? It's like about money, then it's about kings, then it's about marriage, then it's about drinking alcohol. And it's, 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 if you like, it's grouped, but it's quite random. The thought changes often. And when you read the Bible, especially when you read 1 John, you can think it's almost like Proverbs. It's, oh, do not love the world. Oh, love your brother. Oh, oh do not sin. It's like a whole lot of random things. No, he's addressing something specific, and it's building one layer onto another. If you don't see that, you won't get it. Are you with me? So let's read. Do not sin. And we start here with him saying, we'll read 11 verses here. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, because it's a high possibility, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's in heaven. He's the Lamb. He's standing next to the throne. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins as Christians, but also for the sins of the whole world. In other words, we've got to keep mentioning and speaking to the world about the need for a Savior. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. It's a sign that you're a believer if you start hungering and yearning to obey God. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. So there's a certain lifestyle here. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Can you see how important it is here? Do not sin. If you sin, there's an advocate but we should be living a certain way because we are Christians. Then he says, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment or new command, but an old one, which you have since the beginning. In other words, since Genesis. The old command is the message you have heard. Yet, I am writing you a new command. No wonder people get confused in the Bible. I'm not writing you a new command. I'm writing you an old one. Yet, I am writing you a new one. Oh, we've got that. I'll explain it in a moment. It's actually quite simple, but it can be complicated when you just read it off the cuff. But he says here, its truth is seen in him. In other words, this truth of this command is visible in Jesus and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining, speaking of Jesus. Anyone who claims to be in the light, in other words, living according to God's word, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And by the way, that doesn't mean they woke. It's not saying if you love people, you really are. You've got the light. No, it's talking about righteousness and unrighteousness. Light and darkness are metaphors for sin and for righteousness. Are you with me? And he says there, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. We're nearly done. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness and they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. And so he's talking about not love in general. He's talking about love for Christians. And if you're a Christian, you can't say, I believe in Jesus. I need Jesus. But as far as the church is concerned, they're a bunch of hypocrites, so I don't go. And I meet God on the golf course. That that measure of Christianity is not taught here. He's saying, if you love God, 
You've got to love the church because that's where God has put your brothers and sisters. He's not saying you must love humanity in its sin. He's saying you must at least come to church and love the church. Now, why does he talk about that? It's because the Gnostics believed they were superior. Yeah, I go to that church, but, you know, I, I think differently to them. And today you have that superiority. The people who live together, practice certain things that the Bible teaches against, and then they stay away from church because they've, you know, I'm not like Christians. They're such hypocrites, such bigots. And you separate yourself with pride instead of loving. And love for your church is a sign of being a Christian. Amen. People say church isn't important. It is. Marion May Thompson has written a series of commentaries, and they're quite exceptional, actually. And she summarizes this book of John, and she says here, this letter of John, she says, in many ways, the statement that God is light is the thesis of the epistle. It includes a definition of God's character as well as the implications for the life of Christian discipleship. In fact, to lay bare the relationship between the character of God as light and the Christian life as walking in the light is the whole point of the first part of the epistle. So living right is an extremely important part of this book. And now John here, he says, do not sin. I'll give you three ways that he tells us not to sin and how we should deal with sin. Are you with me? So the first way to deal with sin is we can ignore sin. And that's what he says in chapter one. If we say we have no sin, we lie and do not the truth. And you can ignore sin and this is what a lot of Christians are doing. They're relying on saving grace. I'm saved. God loves me. Jesus has forgiven me. I can't earn it. So I'm not going to worry about sin because God loves me. He says, no, no, you're ignoring sin then. You're saved by grace and you're on your way to heaven, but sin is still an issue. And he says, that's why. So I write this so that you will not sin, but if you do sin, there's a way to deal with it. And so we can't ignore sin, and you can't say God loves me, and uh, it doesn't matter what I do. No, you have to deal with sin. Alexander Ramsey, uh, he was a, a British theologian, he said this, he said, to claim exemption from sin is to impeach the verdict of God on the human race. If sin be not the fundamental fact in man's present condition, the gospel is irrelevant. The very reason Jesus came was because we are sinners. And we continue to sin even though we're saved. We get into pride, we get into all kinds of things, and we fail. And saving grace is not enough. We need refreshing grace. Amen. The second thing we could do is we can admit sin. And the Bible says here in chapter 1, if we confess our sins, uh, he is faithful and just. And then we receive cleansing because we have an advocate. That's why he says, but if anybody does sin, in other words, sin is a reality. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it. Admit it. But then he comes to a third way. And this is so important today, lest we become people who just accept failure. He says we can conquer sin. We don't have to sin. We can walk in the light as he is in the light. And the implication in the texture is that we can make a decision as we love God to rise above our sins and to conquer sin. We don't ignore it. We don't just confess it and admit it, but we can conquer it and rise above the flesh as we walk with God. It's a decision you have to make daily. I will not do this. 
because I love the Lord. Are you with me? And now we come, and I have to do this quickly, we come to where he talks about the, in the second section here, of a new command and an old command. And what does he mean by that? Well, he, what he's saying here is it's, it's, it's a new command, not new in time, it's new in emphasis. The Greek word is not speaking, a, this is a brand new thing that's just emerged. It's like it's always been there, but it's been brought to the forefront. And so it's new in emphasis. It's also new in example, because Jesus is the example of, of love. And it's new that it's in the church. It's not just in general. And here's the thing. He says it's old and it's new because the command to love does not just come from nowhere. It comes from the Ten Commandments. That's what's from the beginning. Are you with me? And here's the thing. The Ten Commandments, Jesus said this about them. He said to sum up all the commandments in a new commandment is this. It's to love God and to love your neighbor. Now, you can misinterpret that because you say, oh, it's just about love. No, no. The ten are summarized in two. And the ten teach us how to love people, but not just love people. They are love based on certain parameters of morality. So when you read the Ten Commandments, let, let's read Romans because it's New Testament. And, and bear in mind Mark chapter 12, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 7, Jesus says that it's the, the law and the prophets are summarized in these two. He's pulling the Old Testament in and he's saying, let's not get complicated. Love God, love your neighbor. But we've got to be careful we don't oversimplify it. Now watch here in Romans chapter 13. Read with me on the screen. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. But notice, it's not just love, 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 like L-U-V, it is love according to morality, you can have sex. Eros is God designed, but you can't have sex with your neighbor's wife. There's morality attached to the love your neighbor. But the world says, no, we don't want the Old Testament. We just want to love God, and we want to go to church and have a bit of spirituality, and then we just love anybody. And as long as you love, it's okay. Who are you to condemn? And he says, no, no, it's not that. This love is a, has a morality attached to it. Are you with me? And that's why we have such confusion because the Bible is being oversimplified and texts are being pulled out of context and they sound so amazing. This is what people say. If you love, then you're in the light. What they really mean is you're woke. If you love, then you, 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 you get it. He's nice. He means light as in righteousness as in according to God's law. Am I making sense? It's so important because people just don't seem to get it today. And we've twisted the scriptures so much. And what he's saying is there's a new example. It's Jesus. So it's not just the Old Testament law, but Jesus is the living embodiment of it. It's new in emphasis because now we're in the church together and we need to focus on it. So while it's old, it's still new and it needs to be focused on and it has morality attached. Does that make sense? So really to summarize that chapter, he's saying don't sin, don't ignore sin. Don't just admit sin, conquer sin, and then make sure you love people, 
and you love them according to God's laws and standards, and you can't say you have beliefs, but you have no love for people or fellowship with Christians. It doesn't work like that. You can't believe in Jesus and be out of the church independent and think you're okay. It actually is not correct. Now, for the sake of time, number two. <laughs> Hopefully, you're getting this today. Are you? And I encourage you to study on your own as well because then it, it'll, it'll deepen as you read again. Number two, the second thing he tells us to do is do not fall away. And how many of you know, if he tells you not to fall away, you can fall away. Some people believe once saved, you're always saved, you can never fall away. No, you can fall away. And uh, when we get to the next two sections, you'll see how this is possible. And uh, he talks here about spiritual levels, and we'll read it in a moment. But John Wesley says this about falling away. He says, if after having renounced all, we do not watch incessantly and besiege God to accompany our vigilance with his, we shall again uh, we shall be again entangled and overcome. We've got to be vigilant because sin is ready to drag us away. We need to be on God, not to ignore sin, but to conquer sin and to stand God. Otherwise, we will fall away. And I'm going to read now just two verses which he addresses, and very many people don't understand this, but he's addressing, listen, levels of spirituality. And he says in verse 12, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And he paused there for a moment. What he's saying here is these people are children in the faith because all they've come to know is saving faith that their sins have been forgiven. And there's more to Christianity than just your sins forgiven and going to heaven. There's a growth. Are you with me? So, he addresses the children because they've been forgiven. That's all they know. I've been forgiven. God loves me. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, they have persevered. They are not young children. They have believed. They've been saved. They've overcome challenges, and they've kept going. They've persevered. They have not fallen away. Now watch. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Can you see the levels? Children just believe. I'm saved. I'm saved. Thank you, Lord. But he says, watch out. Because if that's the only place you are, you're only starting. Young men, they are learning how to overcome. They're resisting. They're saved, but now they need to resist. But the fathers, they have been saved. They have overcome, and they're not going anywhere. They're going on with God. And I want to ask you, where do you find yourself? Are you, are you in saving grace where you only know you've been forgiven and all you do is talk about how you've been forgiven? Or are you learning how to overcome? Or have you got to the place where you are in such a grace of overcoming that you could be called a father? And if you're a woman, you're a father too. You're a father in the faith because you have learned to keep overcoming, to press on. You're not just saved. You know it's more than being saved, but you will never let go and you'll keep resisting sin and you'll keep pressing on with God. And you'll never fall away. You see, if you're a, here's the thing. If you're only a dear child, you've got to watch out because all you're relying on is saving grace. And when sin comes, you don't know what to do. You've got to learn to be a young man and overcome. And then you've got to go on to be a father and persevere. Now, he repeats it here, 
and uh, obviously I'm emphasizing it. He says, I write to you, dear children, repeating it again, because you know the Father. You see, it's like a basics. They've, they've just come to know the Lord. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, they are completely assured. They know him from the beginning. They know the word of God, and they've, 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 they've got no doubts. They're faithful. And then he says, I write to you, young men, because you're strong and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Saved, overcoming, persevering. Are you with me? And that's the Christian life. He doesn't say, just keep your eyes on Jesus, and just know that God loves you. He's saying that there's something you need to do. You need to go from saving faith, to overcoming faith, to persevering faith. And when you get to that place, then you're a strong Christian, and there's a journey. It's not just about God's love. There's a growth that you need to experience. Are you with me? Number three, we're doing okay here, I think. Here's the third thing John tells us as we get to the next verse, verse 15. He says, do not be captured by the world. Do not sin. Do not fall away. Notice context. Now he says, do not be captured by the world. This is the principle, if you like, of holiness and separation as a Christian. We live in a world where the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers. The book of 2 Corinthians teaches us that. And so he says, now if, you, if you're not careful, you will end up being dragged away by the system, not the planet itself, not the earth, but the system, the, the Greek word for world, there's the system of this world. And let's read it here. He's not just randomly coming out with this, it's building one thing on another. Do not love the world or anything in the world. So, that is, so, so, so when you're going to at home, and you see a nice air fryer, oh, oh, I so want, oh, I can't. No, that's not what he's talking about. If you go to H&M and there's, there's a nice new jacket, oh, it's the latest, I can't have it. He's not saying that. He's talking about a thinking and a value system and a behavior. Are you with me? He says, if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. So you can't love the way this world thinks. Listen to me, with its wokeness, with all its causes, with all its what it is currently promoting, if you love that and support that, you actually do not belong to God. That's how strong it is. Am I making sense? He's saying you can't be a Christian if you do that. Today what we're trying to do is we're trying to mix it all together. People write me letters and emails and send you tweets and Instagram things. Are you trying to say, yep. What is it you don't understand? That's why we need to study the Bible. Now bear in mind, these people were into docetism and they were into Gnosticism. So this is the context of it here, where they thought they were above everybody else. And he says here now, he says, for everything in the world, now he describes it, the lust of the flesh, passions, the desire, the lust of the eyes, whatever you see, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And notice the statement, the world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 
you need to be saved and separated. You can't just be saved and be a part of the system. You have to think differently to the system, even if they criticize you, because those who are part of the system will pass away. But if you want to live forever, you've got to embrace God's values. And notice here, lust of the flesh, passions, sin, doing what your body feels like, lust of the eyes. Basically, it's passions, possessions, and pride, if you want to summarize it. And it's interesting, he uses the word pride, the pride of life. Yes, status, because the Gnostics viewed themselves as superior. You know, there's the church, and then there's me. You know, there are Christians that are so bigoted, and then there's me, I'm woke. That's pride, because you're not agreeing with God. You're trying to be superior, but actually you're lining up with the world. It's very quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. I don't know if it's shock or disbelief or whatever, but the word lust there is important to recognize, church, and here he's saying to us, we mustn't be captured by the world. The word lust there is the word overstrong desire. If that's what you are chasing and promoting, you are actually living for yourself and your physical desires rather than for the will of God, which is denial of that. And if you're living for possessions only, can I say this? It's not wrong for a Christian to wear the latest clothing or to have the latest car or to redesign their homes. You know, your home gets stale, now you redesign it. It's when you become obsessed with trying to keep up and to be in with the latest, which I have to say, many church leaders have fallen into that trap. And you can wear cool clothes without ascribing to the world. Are you with me? You don't have to be part of the system. You don't have to be boring, but you don't have to be chasing it. Be careful you're not dragged into that. Your neighbor buys a new car. You bought one two years ago, and now you've got regret. I'm only two years into my lease. I wish I could trade it in. Resist the temptation. Tell yourself, I don't have to keep up. I don't have to go along. It's a challenge. It's a massive challenge. And Christians are sucked into this, and, uh, and we can get into that sense where, you, you, you know, the, you desire things, then there's possessions, and then you get into pride. I'm not like other people. The word pride there is a, is a very interesting word. We celebrate it today, but God actually hates it. And it caused the devil to fall, by the way. But let me move on. J.I. Packer said this in his book, Keeping the Ten Commandments, and I want you to listen to this. It's old language, but it does make sense. He says, for us, there are still the great gods, sex, shekels, and stomach, and the other enslaving trio, pleasure, possessions, and position, whose worship is described in 1 John 2.16 as the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions. Football, the firm, Freemasonry, and the family are also gods to some. <laughs> you can see this was a while ago. And indeed, the list of other gods is endless. For anything that allows, anyone allows to run his life becomes his god. And the claimants for this prerogative are legion in the matter of life's basic loyalty. Temptation is a many-headed monster. The key is, is when you chase it and you ascribe to it, that is when it becomes wrong. C.S. Lewis said this, and he's giving us a warning. He says, you and I have need of the strongest spell that can be found to wake us from the evil enchantment 
of worldliness. In other words, you, it's like you're captured and you need something to break it. Because otherwise, as a Christian, you will be drawn into the system. The late Jerry Bridges, who was a brilliant author on holiness, he says this, The sin of worldliness is a preoccupation with the things of this temporal life. It's accepting and going along with the views and practices of society around us without discerning. If they are biblical. So let me read that correctly. It's accepting and going along with the views and practices of society around us without discerning if they are biblical. We just get sucked into it. I believe that the key to our, to our tendencies towards wilderness lies primarily in the two words, going along. We simply go along with the values and practices of society. You see, today it's a legitimate goal to aim high, to achieve, and to succeed, and that's not wrong. We teach you to have vision and to aspire and to take your life from strength to strength, but don't be trapped into the system of the world and don't allow it to produce pride in you where you think you're superior to other people. Because what, does, what pride does, it divides the church. It doesn't unite it. Amen. Am I making sense today? Yeah. And so do not be seduced by the world. The last, number four, and I've got a couple of seconds here, do not be deceived. So do not sin. Do not fall away. Do not be captured by the world. And then do not be deceived. And here in this passage we'll read in a moment, he says uh, four times in the book, but three times in the passage, he talks about uh, and uses the term antichrists. He's not talking about the antichrist which is a personality that will appear in the last days, but he's talking about the spirit of Antichrist, which is anti-Jesus. And he says that uh, Jesus came in the flesh, but the Antichrist doesn't believe that he came in the flesh. They believe he's just a teacher. And he says you need to watch out for that because you'll be deceived into thinking that Jesus is just an ordinary man when in fact he's God's son. So let me read it to you and then we'll wrap up. Are you good so far? Dear children, this is the last hour. They thought Jesus was about to appear during their lifetime. And he says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now, this is interesting. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. So here's the thing. The spirit of Antichrist will be in the church, not just in the world. There will be Christians with a different view of Jesus that call themselves Christians, but they went out of the mainline church, if you like, the, 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 the main theology of the church, and now they're teaching that Jesus is just a good teacher. Are you with me? Many churches like that. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing, and he mentions this word four times, anointing, from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. He's speaking about the Holy Spirit here. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit teaches you. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. In other words, the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. Now it gets radical. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that you have, what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. In other words, don't be deceived. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised, eternal life. Let's just pause there for a moment. Can you see what he's saying is, you can't be a born-again, proper Christian and say you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you know how many churches have that? Where Jesus was a good teacher, but people embrace everything from the world, and as long as there's a loving, warm, sentimental vibe, they call it a church. Now a church is those who are separated from sin, separated from the system, separated from strange beliefs, who believe that he is the only son of God, the only one who came from heaven, who was God in the flesh, who died for our sins, and is the only one who can take us to heaven. Only when you believe that do you have the Father. If you don't believe that, you have your own notion and sentimental religion, but you actually don't have salvation. Pretty brutal, eh? But you know what we've done today? We kept trying to water it down. Shame. They're nice people, but they come to rivers, and they quite like the music. I don't care. They've got to love the Son, and they've got to love the Father. They can love our coffee shop. They can love my preaching. They can love the lights. They can love the vibe. But do they love the Son? Because that's what it's all about. Now, let me finish here before I get overpassionate. Because this book's about him. He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Can you see? Do not be deceived. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you. In other words, when you receive Jesus as Savior, you know who he is. And he says, uh, and you do not need anyone to teach you. Let's just pause there. It doesn't mean you don't come to church and have teachers of the word teaching you. You don't need anyone to tell you who Jesus is. You know that you know. Just don't lose it. Are you with me? And he says, but his anointing teaches you about all things and that his anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has been taught to you, remain in him. The anointing doesn't teach you the whole Bible. It teaches you who Jesus is. Are you with me? And now, dear children, continue in him. Notice the word him, speaking of Jesus, the son, so that when he, Jesus, appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Jesus, 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 don't lose sight of him. He's deity, who he is. Don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let sin drag you away. Don't give up. Don't be deceived. Keep focusing on God's son in the flesh because he is your source of salvation. Gosh, if you reject the son, you can even come to church, but you're actually not a Christian. Pretty hectic, eh? Because God's son is God's representation. He is the lamb of God. And he is the one that we serve. So do not sin. Do not fall away. Do not be captured by the world. And do not be deceived. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 